you can have a seat. Last week we began this series that I'm calling God 101 as really a way to introduce some of the basics about who God is, what his nature is, what he's up to, and what he wants from us. And my goal in this was really to try to get us all up to speed because we refer to a lot of the things that I'm covering in this series over and over again in lessons and sermons in the church, but maybe you're new to some of this or you just haven't investigated it a lot and you hear me say things and go, I'm not sure what he's talking about. So hopefully this series will fill in some of those blanks and answer some of the basic questions that lots of us have. Now, there's no way we can cover everything. In fact, in a whole lifetime, there's no way we can fully understand God. But hopefully this gives us a foundation and then we can use other building blocks to grow our relationship, our faithfulness, our understanding of God from what we talk about in this series. Now, last week as we began the series, I talked about the name of God. And we're looking in the book of Exodus, <clears throat> the second book in the Bible, as we go through this series, and one of the ways that God reveals himself to the people of Israel is through his name. Before that, he's just always been the God of our fathers, but in Exodus, we hear God tell the people, this is my name, and it's four letters, Y-H-W-H, we think it was probably pronounced Yahweh, and it means I am. It's closely related to the Hebrew word for I am, and so sometimes we see it that way. Usually in our English translations in the Old Testament, it's symbolized by all caps, the word Lord or God. When you see that, you know it's Yahweh. But the point was, even in his name, God was showing the people, I am present. I'm with you. I always was. I am now. Always will be. God is saying, I'm with you. And we talked about that last week. And I want to take that and build on that a little bit. You know, when we think about who we are, we know that in Scripture, and even going back all the way to creation, we're told that we were created in the image of God. There is something of God within us. And there are times, I think, when we see people at work that we recognize that image of God coming out in us. And we can see God in other people, maybe sometimes even see a glimpse of God in ourselves. And one of the ways that we see that is our sense of justice. C.S. Lewis talks about it. One of the first things that kids begin to understand is when a toy is taken from them, they will begin to say, that's not fair, right? We have a sense of justice that's built in, and that's part of God's nature in us. And that grows in us, right? Because at first, it's just someone that's done me wrong, and it's not fair. But then it might be that we see injustice in our world. We see a person or a group of people being oppressed by someone else, and we say, that's not fair. Someone or I need to do something about that to, to right that injustice. We see human trafficking. We see uh, sexual slavery in our world, and we want to say, I need to do something about that. These people need to be saved from that, a sense that there should be salvation. Again, I think that's the very nature of God at work in us. Today wants to think about that. Think about what God really is up to, what he desires, and next week we'll think about what God wants from us, but this part of God that shows up in us that's all about salvation. And like the rest of the series, we're going to look in Exodus. Today we'll jump into Exodus 15 in a few minutes, but we need to fill in a few blanks before we get there. Last week, we left off with Moses, who's the main character in the story of Exodus. We left off with him at a burning bush with God talking to him. And the, the story at that point was the, the people of Israel 
because they had become a threat to the people of Egypt, just because of their numbers, had been enslaved. There was a form of genocide going on. All the baby Israelite boys had been thrown into the Nile River, attempting to sort of keep the numbers down. Moses saw that injustice. He, he, he left. He ran away for decades. And God spoke to him and said, I've heard the suffering of my people. And I want to do something about it. I want to lead them out of slavery, out of oppression, and I want to give them a land of their own. And Moses, I want you to lead that. Well, Moses had all kinds of objections, and we talked about that last week. But eventually, after God answers all of that, Moses goes back to Egypt and he begins this long process of leading the people out of slavery. He goes to Pharaoh and he asks that the people be able to go and worship and Pharaoh gives permission. Then he reneges on his promise. This goes back and forth many times through the book of Exodus. We have the ten plagues where God does these things in Egypt that are an attempt to tell those people that he's at work. And finally, after the tenth plague, Pharaoh says, okay, leave. In fact, Pharaoh seems to want them to leave. And so the people of Israel pack up what they can and they leave. And they're headed toward the land that God has promised. But once again, Pharaoh changed his mind. He, he doesn't want to lose the labor of the people of Israel. And so he pursues them with his army, his chariots and his horsemen, one of the mightiest armies on the face of the earth at that point. And he traps the people of Israel between the Red Sea and his army. And at that point, it looks like everything that Moses has been working on, everything that God has been acting toward is, is basically going to be wasted because the people are either going to die or they're going to be dragged back into slavery by Pharaoh. But it's in that moment that God acts and God brings salvation. It's a key moment in the whole history of Israel because God tells Moses to raise his staff over the Red Sea and in that moment God divides the sea. There's two walls of water and in the midst of the Red Sea is dry land and the people of Israel begin to walk through those walls of water on dry land through the Red Sea and finally Pharaoh catches up to them. And he still wants to bring them back. And so he leads his army through the Red Sea, just as the people of Israel are. But they've got a head start. And they end up on dry land on the far side. And God says once again, Moses, raise your hands. And the Red Sea collapses back upon itself and upon the Egyptian army. And it's in this moment. It's in this moment that the people of Israel are truly freed from their slavery. It's in this moment that they become a nation, and it's in this moment that they begin their final journey into the promised land. Everything changes because of what God has done at this time. This is the moment that they receive salvation. And just then, in Exodus 15, what we find is that Moses called the people together and said, this is a time for us to worship. And so he leads them in this song that describes all that God has done and who God is. And that's what I want us to look at for just a few minutes today as we skip through some of these passages in Exodus chapter 15. This is what Moses says. It's the way it begins. Verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to Yahweh. Again, that's all caps there, so it's Yahweh. I will sing to Yahweh for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. 
Now, this poem, this song that Moses sings in this moment becomes one of the, the, the formative pieces of literature for ancient Israel. They would have repeated it over and over. And this first line became iconic for them. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea because that represents the power of the Egyptian army being defeated by God. There's a couple things we notice about this song that begin right here at the, the first verse. And that's, first of all, it's directed to Yahweh. It's directed to the God who has this personal name that he has shown to his people, the God who has brought them out of Egypt, the God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is their God, the God of creation, who is to be praised in this moment. And that's really the second thing. That the proper response when God acts, the proper response when God does something is Worship, And so they're lifting up the name of God in this moment because he has brought salvation. Now these words, both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. It brings up a difficult question for us. And that's the question of looking back through the Old Testament. We see sometimes a God who does some pretty severe things, some violent things. And our sort of our modern understanding it raises a lot of questions for us. In fact, it's a common question that people bring to me. How can we have this God of violence sometimes in the Old Testament versus the God that we see in the New Testament that seems to be much more peaceful? And I don't have full answers to that. In fact, Christians have been working through that question for a couple thousand years, and I'm not going to be the one to solve that issue. But what I do see at work in this passage is that the people of Israel... For decades, hundreds of years have been enslaved, beaten down, oppressed, waiting on salvation of some kind. And at this time, God acts. And this is the way God acts. And I don't know completely why God chose this path. But what I know is that they would never be free as long as the mighty Egyptian army existed. The only way that God could bring justice, the only way that God could set things right is through this action. And as severe as it is, this is justice. And this is freedom for the people of Israel. And this is setting right all that had been wrong for all those years before. So it's not all the answers, but it's the beginning of an answer of a God who brings justice and set things, sets things right for a people who are oppressed. It continues in verse 2. Yahweh is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Remember that phrase. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. God has become salvation to the people of Israel in this moment. Because what he, of what he has done, because he has freed them from Egypt, because he's making them into a people, no longer are they slaves, no longer do they have to be, uh, they have to be ruled over by this Egyptian lord, now they can rule themselves and they are only responsible to God. This is freedom and this is salvation. So God himself, because you see, here's the thing, the people of Israel were not powerful enough to do this for themselves. God did for Israel what they could not do for themselves. They couldn't save themselves, but God could. And so God is their salvation. Let's skip down a little bit. Verse 9. 
The enemy boasted. This is as if Pharaoh is sort of speaking here. I will pursue. I will overtake them. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. It is as if Pharaoh is saying, I'm going to eat them alive. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But then God acts. But you, God, blew you with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Pharaoh thinks he's so strong, so bold. He can do whatever he wants, but all God had to do was to blow on the water and everything changed. Now for ancient Israel, going back to the very first verses of the whole Bible in Genesis, the waters represent for them chaos. Now, we can see that at work, right? If you're out on the sea, it doesn't even have to be the ocean. It can just be a large body of water. And you're there in the midst of a storm. You've got waves crashing against each other, going in many different directions. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It is chaotic. And they saw the power of the sea. They were not a seafaring people as representing everything that could kill you, everything that is chaotic. And here we have God taking chaos, those waters and using it for his purpose. It displays his power because God is greater even than the power of nature to use that for his purposes. And so here, God uses the power of chaotic water, chaos itself, for his people. Verse 11. Who is among the gods? Who among the gods is like you, Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The story is painted in some ways as a competition, a battle between the gods of Egypt on the one hand and the one true God of creation, the God of their fathers, Yahweh, on the other. And so you've got Pharaoh sort of who has these magicians who can work wonders and do amazing things, but they're not Yahweh. They're not the God who can create and sustain life. They're not the God who can actually save. And so the battle is always won by this God who can control nature, the God who can bring actual salvation. And then the very end of the song, the last line, Yahweh reigns forever and ever. If you read through that whole chapter, what you find in this song is a reflection on what God has done and an expectation that God will act in the same way in the future. Because Israel knew this wasn't going to be the end of their trouble. There was going to be difficult times to come. And so they counted on the fact that God was a God of salvation in the past and he would be a God of salvation in the future. And so they put their trust in this saving, powerful God. And the message for them after they ran through all of this and what we learn from it as well is that God has the power to save. And it was only God. God did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. God did for them what Pharaoh would have never done for them. God did for them what even Moses could not have done. Yeah, he could do some pretty crazy and amazing things because of God's power at work. But it was really only God that could bring salvation. God is a God who has the power to save. Now, what does that mean for us? 
Now, when we look at this story, one of the interesting things as we compare the, the gods of the ancient world with Yahweh at work here is that most of the gods in the ancient world, you can look at the Greek gods, the Roman gods who would you know, be used later, but the whole thing is, is they were all about cosmic forces and cosmic battles against one another. But the God of Israel, Yahweh, is acting in actual human history to save his people. From real slavery, God is at work in that moment to release them from that. Well, I think part of the message for us is that we serve the same kind of God, this same God, who works in human history, who acts in real live human history, and we see it most clearly even more clearly than in Exodus, in Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that God doesn't just act in human history, God becomes a human. All that is God is at work on the earth in a human being named Jesus. And that changes everything. And God is still a God who saves, this time through Jesus himself. Now, to explain that, I want us to turn to just a couple verses that we find in Colossians. Now, we're going to study Colossians in more detail later on this year. It's a great book that Paul wrote, and it contains a lot in a short amount of words. I mean, it's not very long, but Paul says a ton. But in chapter 1, he points to what I want us to hear about the salvation of God in just two verses, verse 19 and 20. He says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Everything that there is about God was present in Jesus. This same God who brought salvation to Israel, this same God who opened up the Red Sea, this same God who destroyed the Egyptian army, present in Jesus, at work in human history. Everything that was God was at work in Him. Verse 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. And that includes us. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, what Paul's saying is, listen, you were created to bear the image of God. You were created to show people around you who God is, what God's up to, and what he wants from you. But you've corrupted that, and every one of us have. Because we've all pursued the stuff in the world that is not God. And we reflect a lot of that. We reflect through our actions and words that we're dedicated to something other than God. But it's Jesus that allows us to be brought back to God. Because on the cross, Jesus allowed all the evil of the world, including everything that I've done that was wrong and everything that you've done, to empty itself on him. And what looked like a defeat, the death of Jesus on the cross was actually a victory because evil lost its eternal power there. Jesus saves. And this same God who had the power to save in Exodus is the God who brings salvation in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're the ones, we're the ones who experience that salvation. And so the question comes to us today. Will we trust the power of the world? Will we trust all the things that distract us and corrupt us and lead us to sin? Or will we trust Jesus? I mean, nothing was going to bring salvation to the people of Israel. 
And you know what? Nothing is going to bring salvation to me. This same God that did for them what they couldn't do for themselves has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He's offered us salvation. And the question is, will we receive it? And God has said what you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and be baptized. Maybe that's something you've been thinking about. And if it is, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'll be available after the service. Or you can call me, email me, whatever it is that you want to ask about. I'd love to talk with you about that. Because that is God's plan for your life. He loves you enough that He offers you real salvation. The same God who is powerful to save in Exodus is powerful to save today. And is engaged and active in human history. So you're ready to do that. Love to talk with you about that. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you're a powerful, saving God. So we bring ourselves to you today knowing that just as Israel needed salvation many, many years ago, we need salvation today. And just as you were active to save them in human history, you have been active in Jesus to offer us salvation today. And God... We pray for each one who is thinking about that, considering that, and we pray that you'll give them the wisdom, insight, the faith that they need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Pray it all in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.